kingdom of the planet of the apes has arrived in IMAX. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. What is going on, everyone? And welcome to the inaugural Pumpkin Spice Shock Factor podcast, where I, Stephen Shock, We'll be taking you behind the scenes of college baseball all off-season long. Now, this podcast will be a little different from the spring one as my friends Jake and Jordan are busy covering a little thing they call the MLB, whatever that may be. Um, so they won't be joining me this fall, but they will be back come springtime. So don't worry, it's not beef. It's just they like the MLB a little bit, so they got to work. Now, with that being said, I am delighted to announce that new episodes of The Shock Factor will be available every Monday and Thursday, all off-season long. So for our Monday episodes, I will be joined by a new guest every week to talk all things college baseball. And now this guest can be literally anyone from the world of college baseball, from head coaches to former players to current players to equipment managers. Essentially, if they have a cool story, and they have even thought a little bit about college baseball. I want to talk to them. Now, for Thursday episodes this offseason, we'll be releasing episodes with GQ's most handsome man in college baseball, 10 years run, the wonderful and fabulous Coach Mike Rooney. In my episodes with Coach Rooney, we'll be talking about all the offseason happenings in college baseball from the transfer portal and beyond, just doing whatever we can to give college baseball the spotlight we feel it deserves. Now, without further ado, let's get right into it. So our first guest we are joined with just by the ever-wonderful Wake Forest pitching coach, Corey Muscara. Last season, his pitching staff paved an asphalt highway to Omaha that they're really hoping to get back on this coming June. And, you know, this offseason, they made a lot of moves that I think they, they might be frequenting it. But we talked a lot about how he manages that pitching staff and how he does his best to ensure that these guys aren't just ready to win in at the college level, but just winning life in general, whether it be on the baseball field or off of it, he just teaches them to be competitors. He, he's the man. Now, I first met Coach Moose in 2021 at the bridge seminar they held at Wake Forest, where they took a lot of different high-level scientists to explain how to pitch, essentially. And truth be told, I was just there to film it and didn't understand half the words that were said, but I could definitely tell smart stuff was going on. But while I was there, I kind of instantly gravitated towards Coach Moose. He's just such a pure college baseball person. And like my favorite thing about him is that he's always willing to talk. And sure, sometimes his players will give him crap for it. Like at the ACC tournament, I probably talked to him for about an hour. And then some of his players came over and go, oh, you got Moose. But that's kind of just who he is. Like he doesn't have an ego at all. He would talk to the president the same way I'd imagine he'd talk to a stranger at a gas station. And he's just an all-in-all -all good dude who really cares about his players. Now, prior to being at Wake, Coach Moose was on a coaching staff at Maryland where he was the pitching coach. And prior to that, he was at St. John's where he was a pitching coach as well. And he really helped put the Red Storm on the map. I remember one player specifically that comes to mind was Tom Hackmer, who I, I believe he worked with. I, I know they know of each other, and Tom Hackmer came out of St. John's, and he's just a beast. But before that, he was at Binghamton, and before that, he started his coaching career at Southern New Hampshire. 
And now that's a lot, but just hang with me. In his playing career, he spent two seasons at Franklin Pierce, his final two. But prior to that, he had spent three years under the tutelage of the literal goat, Tony Rossi at Siena College. So everything in college baseball essentially comes back to Tony Rossi is what I'm trying to say here. Now, look, Coach Moose has had a long track record of success, and I see that record just getting longer and longer as the years progress. So without further ado, let's hear from the man himself and see how he does it. This episode of the Shock Factor podcast is brought to you by the Big Donkey brand. Are you tired of walking around town not knowing if other people know if you like college baseball? Well, head on over to the BigDonkeyBrand.com to change that. Also, sweather weather is approaching very rapidly, and soon there will be college baseball apparel that's ready to handle it, provided by the Big Donkey brand. So stay tuned. Now, thank you to those kind words from our sponsor. Um, probably the Big Donkey brand, if we're being honest, because why wouldn't it be? But we are back with the Pumpkin Spice Shock Factor, the fall edition of the Shock Factor podcast, joined by the legendary and wonderful Corey Muscara of Wake Forest University. Coach Corey, Coach Moose, how are we doing? I'm doing well. I, the legendary is, is uh, quite an uh, introduction. I don't know about legendary, but I'm here, I'm alive, and uh, we're ready to rock and roll. It's always a pleasure to jam with you. Well, if you aren't a legend right now, I will make sure, fortunately due to my career path, to push the narrative that you are a legend and, uh, <laughs> and so i will spend that we gotta we gotta start off what's your favorite fall flavored drink i i gotta know it's it's the first question on everyone's mind i know yeah i mean you gotta go with pumpkin at whatever it is whether it's a pumpkin beer or a pumpkin latte just anything that has pumpkin in it pumpkin cinnamon you gotta go that route i definitely go that over the apple cider but that's probably close second um well you officially you officially have the best answer on the podcast so far because i i interviewed my friend rusty evan duhan who's new assistant at george mason and he's from louisiana his answer was gumbo um which don't don't know how that works but so thank you for saying actual gumbo was his fault was his fall drink i i guess so i i I framed it favorite fall flavored snack or drink, I guess, because he said he doesn't really do the drinks, which I don't get that. I like drinking things that taste like a Michael Craft store. Like it it's phenomenal for me. So I and it's healthy for your gut. You'll take you'll take better poops in the fall. Everybody knows it. It's the only way to not get sad about the leaves getting dark and the trees dying. <laughs> <laughs> so, but rolling right into it sorry you have to deal with the poop joke first thing off the bat but i i feel like you did know what you were signing up for but it's all good i know what i'm getting into i know <laughs> i know the uh i know where this is going so it's all right now obviously changing in the seasons getting into fall ball you you had one of the shorter off seasons due to the fact that your team kept winning baseball games making it all the way to omaha what was that experience like for you as a coach getting your team to the College World Series? Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Uh, mainly just be, and it's going to sound corny when I say this, but it was a really fun group of guys to be around every day. And you just didn't want to not be around them. You knew that a lot of guys, it was their last year you had with them. And um, 
it was as enjoyable a group as you could ever be around. So you just wanted to kind of soak up as much time as you could with that group and be around them as much as possible. Um, obviously, it's always been a dream to get to Omaha as a player or a coach. So that was my first time. So that was pretty cool. And it was great for my family to be there. Um, I've been to Omaha quite a bit because the Big Ten tournament was held there. The Big East tournament was held there. When I was in the Big East, we used to play Creighton. So played at when it was TD Ameritrade. What is it, Charles Schwab now or something like that? Mm-hmm. Played there. Um, been there a bunch, actually. Uh, but to be there during the World Series was was much cooler. Um, and, and being with the, that group of guys that you enjoy being around every day was awesome. So. Yeah, I, I yeah. wanted to ask that just because you have that experience of playing in those parks where, you know, the environment's a little different. It's not necessarily a sold out crowd. So what what was the different like feel of Omaha for you like? You know, it was it was funny because like the crowds were huge, obviously um, packed out. But like when you're in the game, you don't even really sense that the crowd's that big, like. You kind of have to, like, even when you, like, walk out for a mound visit or something and you look up, you're like, oh, wow, there's a lot of people here. But, like, it doesn't seem that way when you're in the dugout. At least it didn't for me. Um, But it definitely felt like there was a little bit more of a buzz, a little bit more of, like, like, you didn't feel like the crowd was too big, but there was a different energy. I don't know how to explain it. It was a little bit more exciting. I mean, when, you know, when you play there during the Big East tournament, there's, like, a thousand people and the stadium seats 25 26 whatever it is so a thousand people feels like five people you know yeah Um, so the big 10 tournament would would get some really really good crowds when it was nebraska playing iowa like Mm -hmm. those crowds were pretty electric um and i was in the stadium for those games but we weren't playing so it, it felt like a bigger version of that i guess you know um i think the coolest thing about omaha is like crowds outside the stadium you know like every everybody's it's like a giant uh scott brown who's uh, a mentor of mine good friend of mine um i remember he once said you know he's been there a million times right and so he once told me that it was like a country concert it was like a giant country fest and that's a great analogy that's what it feels like it, it, it the crowds outside the stadium and the energy outside the stadium are pretty wild everybody's tailgating it's easy to see why everybody goes back, even if their team's not there. You know, I, I, had a, I had a couple people that went for the first time, friends of mine and stuff like that. They're like, we were going to go back next year, whether you go or not. And I was like, that's pretty cool. If, I, if you had the means to do it, why not? You know? Yeah, it's like, yeah, well, I'll, I'll try to join you, but if not. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it, that's a great point. And for me personally, like, I love interacting with people. It's my favorite thing. And it's one of the things I really liked about Wake Forest is every time I walked out of the hotel, I saw a different Wake Forest player talking to fans, just kind of taking it all in. But, you know, obviously pitching wise didn't go great for me in Omaha. So it makes sense that I have more fun outside of the stadium. But like, that's really what stuck with me. And when I talk to players who have been, has always been something that stuck out is just, that fan experience is really just something unlike any other sporting event in in the world, in my opinion, just because you don't get to just walk around and walk down the street and see first rounders going about their day, ready to talk to you. And, you know, with way, fortunately we had, we had a lot of guys who are high end talent that 
people are going to tell their kids about the day they met them in Omaha, which is just such a special thing. And one thing I really appreciate about not just all the teams there, but it really stood out about Wake Forest team was the the type of guys you have. And speaking to that point of just like, you know, if we win a national championship, that's cool. But our main goal is just to play another game with our friends. Like, I feel those teams are the most dangerous in the sense that they don't have that pressure of, oh, we got to win to get to this game, to get to that game. It's just, all right, we're just going to win so we can hang out again, you know? Yeah, that's what it felt like with this team, to be honest. It was, we talked a lot about that. We actually used that exact analogy many times when we we were talking to the team. Um, But it, it definitely had that vibe, you know, and you talked about the first rounders in Omaha. Like, I think this year had more first rounders that played at Omaha than any year ever. And I might be making that up. I thought I heard that, but there was an incredible amount of first rounders and day one talent that showed up in Omaha this year. Um, And it was great. I mean, it's great to see that many good players. Um, It was kind of crazy too, how it all played out. Like the year, the D one baseball preseason poll or whatever, it was like almost, I think it was like four or five teams that were in the preseason top eight were, we're in Omaha, which you almost never see it happen that way. So it was great. The, the poll was really good there this year, and it was it was fun as always, you know. Yeah, and in Omaha, one thing that kind of like took the nation by storm was the fact that like your pitching staff, especially relievers, they just kind of take the mound and they look like alligators at feeding time. Like they are off the walls. They look like alligators at feeding time at like a poorly ran zoo like these are hungry alligators what what is it about your staff that kind of brings out that side of pitchers or is it something you're looking for when you're recruiting guys or is it kind of something that it's nurture versus nature and like you're teaching them that i i don't know i can't give you the exact specs on it um i could tell you we embrace it i definitely embrace it um I'm a little bit off the wall. I have a lot of nicknames that a lot of people and a lot of my players call me. So I probably attract some of that because I, I think it's, you know, I, I like to have fun too. Um, but I mean, we talk a lot about getting to an altered state. We talk about flow states. We talk about, um, we, we referenced this interview that Kobe Bryant had when he talked about picking up the dirt and kind of, he talked about becoming the gladiator, um, like the Russell Crowe movie when he picks up the dirt and he's he becomes kind of the entertainer. And you know, we've talked about the the Theodore Roosevelt man in the arena poem. We talk about that, like so it's kind of embracing your alter ego and everybody's different. Like, you know, Hartle's really calm and Rhett's playful. Um Cam's kind of psychotic. Cole Roland is extremely psychotic. Massey's kind of in between. Um, you know, they all have like Sean Sullivan. Sean Sullivan's he's kind of got red ass, like he's angry elf, you know. Um, they're all different though. And it's like being your authentic self and trying to like not think about your delivery and getting all internal with your cues, um, but trying to kind of get primal and focus on your breath 
focus on whatever whatever that reference point you're going at and just blowing it up. Um, those are those are things we talk about. We do a lot of visualization. We do a lot of journaling, affirmations. Um, we're really big into music, so there isn't a time that you could ever walk into our pitching lab where the aux isn't on and it's bumping. Um, and even during games, like we weren't allowed to do this during the NCAA tournaments, but a lot of times during games, like our speakers are bumping in the, in the lab, like while the guys are warming up, you'll see a lot of guys with headphones on and stuff like that. But we talk a lot about trying to replace, um, we want like, we want our internal monologue. We want our internal voice to be super positive and aggressive. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we talk about that stuff all the time. We coach it up. We do a lot of shadow pens um, and things of that nature. We, we watch a lot of video on our body language. So we talk a lot about body language. <laughs> I don't know if it's any one thing. I mean, it's – I can't say that it's, like, by design. You know, it's, it's, it's like any coach that talks about the mental game and makes it a priority. Like, we make that a priority. But it's really more like we talk about bad body language, you know, like that gets exposed um, or working in bad tempo. Like I'm a stickler on tempo. So we want to work fast and we want to be aggressive. We just had a coach Walter actually just had a talk with our team uh, on Saturday because it was our first day of practice. And his whole thing was, are we the predator or the prey? You know, so like it's the same thing, like no matter however you want to package up the mentality of it all. It's all the same stuff, you know, every, every sports psychologist in the world, every sports, you know, mental game book that's out there, they all employ very similar strategies. They all talk about the same thing. Um, it's about being present. It's about, you know, being able to control your thoughts and, and, and your words and clearing your mind and being focused on your breath. So you can kind of create your own reality, you know? Yeah, and I, I think one thing that really helps, and one of the reasons I really like it, especially as a pitcher who was a pretty pretty emotional guy out there, is just it, it kind of takes out the – not takes out the fear failure aspect of it, but the fear of, like, judgment. As long as you take that out, that's when you can really get to go be yourself. It's the same thing you tell an elementary school kid who's, like, a little bit weird and they're getting made fun of it's like okay that's fine those kids got their own problems you once you stop worrying about okay i'm getting picked on for this and start embracing who you are that's when stuff really flies and i feel like as a pitcher that is something that gets so lost because there's so many coaches and so many people out there who will say oh you can't play the game this way and you can't go out and do that because people will think like scouts will think oh he's trying to put on a show and do all this it's like well one people paid for a show so i'm gonna give it to them but two that's just kind of that's just the nature of the beast and like when you aren't pitching while being yourself i feel like you're just kind of acting and then you're putting energy into the act instead of you know putting energy into blowing the ball by guys and well again you hit the nail on the head authenticity i think is everything you know we, we like i think people get into trouble when they're not trying to be their true selves. You know what I mean? Like everybody we're I say this all the time, but like we're on this world where it's all like, it's all optics, you know? Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, like 
if you want to be present, if you want to be in a good headspace, be yourself. Like you're going to have more fun with your team that way. You're going to, you're going to really develop as a person better. Um, so I, I think that's super important. Like it's a huge quality that we try to talk about all the time is, is being your, your authentic self. No. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's one thing. That's another reason I'm so glad you guys had so much success this season is because it, it shows that that works, you know, at this level of you can get college players and say, hey, just go be you. And as long as, you know, you have a coaching staff that can command respect and get players to do as they say to do and can guide these players in the right path as long as you essentially aren't just letting them run loose as wild animals saying just oh, be yourself be yourself you know well, so that, that's is, where it gets is, lost but this is how we we police it right so we have a lot of fun but we track everything <laughs> like i mean everything it's it's I, I just printed out from our scrimmage the other day four pages of data points four pages like and everything's charted and everything's ranked so every day we post from every single day of practice we post a ranking a system essentially mm -hmm. and one of the things we talk a lot about is being player led not coach fed so we do a lot of team building stuff we you know we, we work through the team quite a bit but the the greatest way to police things is let their let the results kind of dictate you know like we want to be process oriented over result oriented, obviously, but when you're tracking your bullpens every day, when you're, and, and we don't just track the strike or the velocity, like that's not it. Like we'll track the time between pitches. We'll track like what like, the hold they're in. We'll track um, like the leg times or their pick times. We'll track the times on and off the field. We'll track the times around the diamond after and out. We'll track, home the first time so like a lot of process oriented things you know and um and we post it constantly and one of the things that i do we have 20 pitchers so we travel 13 so i have a thick black line usually after we get into time for a little bit anyone under the 13 is on the travel line it's a lot of times with guys i was like and because we 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 track so many different columns when they say hey like what do you need to do to get better i'm like well your first pitch strikes aren't good. Your end zone miss isn't pretty, isn't very good. Uh, why don't we start there? Or like, I'll be like, Hey, like you've given up five stolen bases in your last two innings. You don't hold the running game. Not very good. Or, Hey, yeah. You, you, in your bullpens, you're, you know, 40% strike with your change up and your 55%, you know, spot percentage. And we need that to be 65 and we need the strikes to be 60. And so I can't call a change up in a two Oh count with you. That's the and so, like, what happens is, like, when you do all that, you can have as much fun as you want to. At the end of the day, you just be like, hey, bud, like, if you want to be here and you want to be a dude, like, this is what you need to do. Yeah. And then when, and then, you know, like, we, we, we track a lot of other things, too. Like, we, we do a lot of assessments on their body, a lot of assessments on their delivery. And so there's a lot of data there, too. And so we give them programming. And the expectation is, like, if you're here, and this is what you want, then you, you need to do it. And and then and in the recruiting process, we filter through it that way too. So you got to get the right makeup kids in the front end. Then you got to like create a, a system where you can take in of information and give them the roadmap to success of what they need. And then you need to track what they're doing every day to keep them accountable. And 
if, if they're doing those things, they can be themselves. They can have fun because they know it's <laughs> it's not a political thing or it's not, you know, oh, we gave this guy this much money, so he's going to play. It's super objective. And it, it's capitalism. You know, it's it's like, <laughs> hey, like, you're a walk-on, but you're outperforming this guy. Sorry about it. Like, he's kicking your ass right now. Like, if you don't like it, be better. You know what I mean? And then you can have fun. And then what happens when we compete at everything every day? Because every day, everybody on the team gets a win or a loss in some capacity. And we track winning percentage with everything. Like, I mean, everything. Like, from, from batting practice to... 27 outs like if we just if we don't put something in the practice plan as a competition then that day we'll make them pick one guy from one team and one guy from another team and they'll play each other in a ping pong match like every day we get something and what that does is it it lets you know who the winners and losers are because winning's a habit and so when you can guys that have that kind of energy and be engaged in all the little details and you track all the little details and, and you're a winner like you want to do those things right you know, like we'll have scrimmages where it's just like process based. Where you know, everything, you know, like I, every school, like this isn't special to Wake Forest. Like everybody do, does these things, you know. But it's the consistency at which you do it, and it's how you know do your actions hold up to your words. Are you authentic as a coach? Are you doing what you say you're going to do? You know. Yeah, yeah. And one thing I, I love all the tracking stuff. When I played in the Cape, we had like a pitcher's report after each outing. And for whatever reason, every category of the report was just I was terrible at. And so after every outing, I would just get it. My, my coach it was Jerry Weinstein. He would be like, yeah, you got another F, but um, you know, you got three outs, so who cares? Because uh, <laughs> he was process-oriented too, but as long as the results eventually happen. But, I mean, it's just one of those things that's so unique at Wake is how much you can track these days and the technology you guys have. Because, I mean, I was thinking about it, just like the list of things you guys track back in the day before technology was in baseball heavily, that'd be like 30 different assistants with clipboards trying to do that. Well, to be honest with you, a lot of it's manual that we do. Really? So we, we do have a practice and stuff like that. There's anywhere from on the low end five to sometimes as high as 15 or 20 uh, data analytics managers. So like, if you go watch our scrimmages, there'll be like 20 guys behind the backstop with stopwatches tracking a lot of this stuff manually yeah well, so it's not all technology based um we just happen to have a lot of a lot of kids that want to be involved and they work their butts off they're pretty passionate too so a lot of what we're able to do to build our culture is because of their hard work yeah you know? that's awesome i just figured it was a computer because that sounded almost impossible we, i mean we do have like we you know track man you can automate time between pitches now so like we we started, but we initially did that manually. Now you can automate it. Um, obviously, the ball flight data we get from TrackMan, end zone miss, and all that stuff, and chase, and and all that. Um, first pitch strikes, a lot of that stuff you can automate with TrackMan. Um, but like like leg times, um, we manually do them. Run times manual. Um, holds we count them manually. Um, <laughs> Time around the diamond manual, on and off the field manual. So like, we have people on stopwatches for all that. You know, Jeez, that that's incredible. Hey everyone, we're gonna take a quick break from our discussion to hear a couple ads from our sponsors. 
Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, has arrived in IMAX. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Moving. So you do have a lot of technology away for us, which we touched on a little bit. Obviously, the pitching lab has the most of just like anywhere in baseball in general aside from just college baseball but one thing that i feel like you guys have done particularly well is using that lab to kind of understand how pitchers are undervalued where they're at and how they can become more valuable i know a big emphasis was cole roland how he came from a school where he primarily used his fastball and then he gets to wake and you guys kind of show him like, Hey, this is how good your off-speed pitch is and kind of breaking him down that way. So what, what's that process kind of like from a coaching standpoint of, okay, I got these scientists in this lab who, you know, they're all doctors, they're in lab coats. They know what they're doing. How do I translate what they just told me to this guy who just got out of an accounting exam, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that's a good question. So there's a lot of different things as far as like getting players in the transfer portal and finding value we do. It's that's predominantly me, um, our lab coordinator, Mike McFerrin and our analytics team. Um, so like anytime we look at somebody like, like we don't really talk to the biomechanists or anybody like on terms of player acquisition, so we'll look at like their data first and just kind of see if there's any low hanging fruit there that we feel like we could optimize better. Then nowadays with everything on Synergy, we'll watch the Synergy and we'll see if we see anything in their deliveries that we can clean up. Um, the beauty of the lab is that when we do those player development meetings and we break down like, you know, where their lead arm is or, you know, how much force you're putting into the ground or where they are at, you know, foot strike in terms of rotation, different things like that. We track them over time so we can start to see like if we can make these adjustments or not and what drills we can do to make the adjustments. And then generally what happens to ball flight. So in the recruiting process, we look for guys that, the number one thing we look for is guys that throw strikes, obviously. Like I, I, I care about walk rate the most in terms of the transfer portal. And then we try to see if there's guys that have had success and or a moderate level of success. And then can we make their fastball profile better? Can we change their pitch usage? Is there something pretty simple in their delivery that we can clean up pretty quickly that's going to make a, a massive difference, you know? So, I mean, if you look at last year, right, Cole Rowland, I'll, I'll kind of go through the transfers that we had. So Cole Rowland uh, never threw his change up. When he was at Dartmouth, it was like a 6% usage pitch. Last year, we upped to like 37% usage. Um, he threw a break in, or he threw his fastball, 65% usage at Dartmouth. And his fastball is what we call a fake ride. So it, it has carry, but it's steep. So the VAAs aren't great. But he would, and he's like, you know, 89 to 92. Like, it's just, it's a fine fastball. Like, it's, it's not great. It's not it's not, it's not bad. It's, it's, it's pretty, 
pretty run of the mill nowadays. Um, but he threw it like 65% of the time when he was at Dartmouth. And he threw his breaking ball, I don't know, like 30 something percent of the time. And his breaking ball is a hammer. Like he actually throws his breaking ball on the same tilt as um, James Karinchak. So he throws the old left handed breaker, it's like a 515 <laughs> tilt, and he throws it abnormally hard. So if you look at like, and there's seam shifted wake in it and all that good stuff. But like it's it's a unique pitch. It's an outlier pitch. Um, and he throws it for a strike a lot. Like his strike percentage on the pitch is like 65%. So when you're looking at when we were looking at that guy, like, okay, he has a hammer breaking ball. I didn't even know he had a changeup when we recruited him. I was just like, hey, look, the guy can spin the hell out of it. Maybe we can get him here and he could he could fill a role. He could he could plug a hole. If I need to. If I have my sky report, this guy can't hit spin. We'll just bring this guy in, you know? And uh, then when he got here, I realized that he had a really, really good changeup. And I was like, bro, why don't you throw this? He's like, I don't know. Is it good? I'm like, yeah, it's nasty. And then I think we let him be himself, you know? Like, he's an eccentric dude. He went viral being the tweaking deacon. So, like, he likes to have money. He kind of built off his kind of alter ego. And the other thing he did a really good job of is he did a really good job of like timing, you know, like he just because he's doing all his antics that he's blacking out when he's on the mound on, like he would go really slow and then sometimes go really fast. You know, for other guys, it was different for, you know, for Mike Massey, it was uh, his glove side was low. We saw that on Synergy video and we felt like if we could give him a match play in a rotation, that would be very helpful. Uh, Mike McFerrin, our lab coordinator, realized uh, in one of the early going mocaps that he probably needed to short, shorten his stride um, so he could catch some grounded rotation. And that made a big difference that allowed him to throw harder. Um, he They hit like 340 on his slider when he was at Tulane. And he used to try to sweep it, but it was pretty terrible. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't very hard. So we taught him a gyro slider, and we we're just like, dude, just throw it as hard as you can. And he picked up the slider in about a week. And so his, he made a four, like I think he, his average fastball velocity was 90.7 his freshman year at Tulane. And, and with us, it was like 94.7. Now it's different being he was a starter at Tulane, he was a reliever for us. But I think that the, the shortening of the stride and the lead arm helped. The lead arm helped more with his fastball profile. He went from 18.7 carry to like 20.7 average carry. And uh, his um, his velocity, obviously, average velocity jumped four miles an hour. I, I contribute that primarily to the shortening of the stride. Um, Sean Sullivan was a location strategy thing. Like when he was at Northwestern, he would try to throw arm side down a lot early in the count. He'd lose the count quite a bit. Um, so we just needed to get him to attack to his strength. Um, and that was that was really the problem. And he got stronger. Like, he got a little bit more physical. And that helped his velocity. So I think his average velocity at Northwestern was like 87. And last year, his average basketball velocity was like 90 miles an hour. Um, but it, it's like looking at all that in, in the, in the you know, recruiting process. Like, Man, this kid's pretty good. Like, throw strikes. Like, you know, uh, He's had he's logged some innings. He's had some success. And maybe if we give him this and this, it'll make a big difference. And then that's one of the cells that we try to do in the in the recruiting process is let them know what we see and how we think we can impact it. You know. Yeah, and yeah. kind of going along that vein, 
Um, this offseason, you guys were pretty active in the portal. You guys got a few guys. One of the biggest, obviously, on your side of it, aside from Seaver King, position players, they got him. They get to play with him. Very cool guy. But you guys got Chase Burns. It's kind of like, it's like when your mom gets a new car and your dad wants a new car because he's like, oh, that one's nice. So, you know, the, the position players get one pitching staff. We'll get we'll get you one, too. What was that process like? Because, I mean, obviously, a name like Chase Burns announces he's going into the portal. Every college coach thinks to themselves, hmm, what if we got him? How cool would that be? You guys were the only school that actually got him. So what was that process like? I mean, look, candidly, I think he went into the portal when we were in Omaha. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember clearest day, I was sitting in the lobby and Brock Wilkin sent me a text because Brock Wilkin thought he was our recruiting coordinator. Like he, <laughs> anytime someone went in the portal or anything, like Brock was all over it. So Brock sends me a text right away. You got to get this dude. And I, I remember thinking in my mind, I was like, we're not going after that guy. He's not coming here. Like I literally was, I didn't even spend any mental calories on it. Like I, cause it's just, not traditionally how we or I roll. Like I, I try to, I look more for like the diamond in the rough. Where can we extract value? You know, mm -hmm. and look like everybody has their preconceived notions on what's, what's going to take place, you know, but I can assure you, we, we didn't literally, I didn't even give it a thought. <laughs> and then we were home from Omaha and it was about over a week later, maybe even longer than that. Um, a buddy of mine, called me up and was like, Hey, uh, are you guys looking for transfers? I'm like, yeah, you know, we're definitely gonna need an arm or two. We're losing a lot of guys in the draft. He's like, would you have any interest in Chase Burns? And I was like, I just started laughing. Or he's like, you know who Chase Burns is? I was like, yeah, of course I do. And he's like, would you have any interest? And I started laughing. I'm like, dude, are you trying to punk me right now? Like am I on candy camera? Of course I would. He's like, all right, well, I'm friends with his, you know, advisor. And, you know, he was, saying that there might be some interest there in Wake. And I was like, really? And uh, he's like, yeah. Well, all right, give him my number. You know, like, we'll see if he calls. And then um, I went in the office the next day to tell Coach Walt. And a similar scenario happened with Coach Walt, where someone had reached out to him, a friend of a friend type thing. It was like, and we were, like, sharing stories. And I'm like, wow, like this maybe, maybe there is interest. I don't know. So then Coach and I got on a, a phone call with him. And, um, you know, I had like one or two other phone calls. We set up a visit. We did the, we went through the whole process that we talked. I just elaborated for you. Like we showed him his data. We showed him where we thought we could help him. We showed him his pitch usages, different little things like that. And, uh, we kind of showed him our plan for what we would do from a player development standpoint. And then like two days later after the visit, he committed. And to be honest with you, I was like, wow, that just happened. That's cool. Like, I I wasn't even like, the whole time I was like, is this really happening? Like, it was kind of surreal, you know? Oh, so many people have, like, asked me, like, what'd you guys do? I'm like, I, I don't know, like, the same thing we always do. Like, it wasn't like it was anything crazy, you know? You, you guys, but, you guys over there, you were playing hard to get. You're the new kid on the block, just turned pretty. First time back to Omaha since the Eisenhower era, and you're, you're, you're floating there all humble, playing hard to get, and he's like, now I want them, you know? Because that, that's probably what was different. He was probably like, why aren't they, like, why aren't they itching to talk to me right away? Like, <laughs> all right, I'll go to them then. But that that's such a cool story and such a 
funny way of going about and just kind of shows the way you guys have kind of been transforming the landscape, not just of the ACC, but college baseball and the fact that, you know, most people see Chase Burns in the portal. They go, all right, what SEC team is he going to go to? But to see Wake Forest step up and be like, oh, he's coming here, actually. Like, that, that's so cool and just really a testament to how much your program has really taken off and changed over even just the past couple of years. Not just not to say you guys weren't already pretty much at the top. You guys pumped us at UMBC in regionals. So, so Wake Forest, you know, you guys have had the talent, but you guys have really just kind of – made a name for yourself in the college baseball world is like all right this is a force to be reckoned with and I think my favorite thing about it is the nonchalantness of which you guys have kind of gone about it of just like all right well we're gonna go take care of business and do it again and so it makes me super happy to learn that that's kind of how Chase Burns ended up with y'all too of just we're good and if you want to help us be better sure he's a great kid I mean He's been really fun to be around, you know. Um, the guys on the team really like him. He's got really good energy. Um, he's a super humble dude. So I think that, I mean, at the end of the day, like, this sounds so corny and cliche, but, like, I just, I just want to show up every day and enjoy being around the guys I coach. I really like baseball. I really like coaching. I'm very thankful that I get to do this every day. And the most important thing is that I want to be excited to show up at the yard every day. And I think if we get excited, if we're excited to be there every day and, and work with the people that we, you know, we get to work with, we got a chance to be pretty good. Um, but it's like when you get caught up in all the stuff that doesn't matter, that's, that's the problem. You know, like at the end of the day, like that's, that's really what it is. And, and, and you know, like I, I got like these, these doing a podcast or like, you know, getting the D1 award, like, it's cool. But, like, at the end of the day, I'm more excited about the fact that, like, you know, we did 27 out successful or, like, we had really good energy at practice. We ran hard. We played hard, you know. And um, Wes and Billy and, you know, like, those guys are the are, are just – it's a team thing. It's not, like, just the pitching staff or just the offensive unit. It's, it's everybody buying in because – that's how you like you asked about like the body language and and you know the time between pitches and all that stuff like the position players are policing that too it's a it's a full unified like effort right it's not one coach it's not one person um it's everybody you know and I, I was talking about Mike Massey like Mike Massey's not throwing as hard as he is last year without coach McFerrin or our lab coordinator for McFerrin or director of player development McFerrin, whatever you want to call his name and title, seeing the seeing that information on the mocap. You know, he picks that information up on the graph. I don't even know what the hell the graph means, you know, and he's like, hey, I think if you move his foot strike back further, it's gonna count. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's yeah, let's do it. Sounds great. Like you're the you know, you're the one in a coat. Yeah, like I'm like, all right, that sounds good. That's a good idea. Like I don't even know what that graph means. So that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. You know, but like that's the vibe at our place, right? It's not like uh, like this guy's got all the answers, that guy's got all the answers. It's like we're a team. We're trying to win the game. We yeah. want to be good people. We want to have good habits. We want to have fun. Like it's baseball. Play the game. You know, like that's what it is. 
And when it becomes more than that, and it's something that's bigger than that, that's when it gets out of that's when it gets out of hand. That's when it becomes a problem, you know. Yeah, and baseball is never fun. And I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Doing a podcast is cool, but I would much rather show up to the field and go to like shag BP with my friends once again. I'm like, I'm I'm yeah. jealous. I'm very jealous of what you get to do. And I'm fired like, up. I'm fired up when I get to walk in the lab and they're bumping their walkouts and like everybody's like. I'm like Van Wilder, dude. I never left college. <laughs> I've been here for like 15 years. I still have enough degrees to show for it, you know? <laughs> Look, well, hey, I think he only got one at the end of it. So, I mean, you know, you're you're on you're on the path. I think you already did that. <laughs> so you already got that done. Now, wrapping up, because I, I want to let you get back to your busy life, and I do appreciate you taking the time. I want to allow you for a little promotion here while – sharing a personal testament of the bridge seminar which uh you guys executed i remember in 2021 a young that's all that's all that's all mike mcferrin i just i just like happened to be in the building at the time he's yeah, the but one that you, you talked during it yeah i you want to know a true story sure i hope matt hobbs hears this because it's a true story so <laughs> i refused to speak at the first one i didn't want to talk at i didn't want to talk because it was our first year I was still trying to figure everything out in the lab, like hadn't done anything yet. So I didn't feel like I had any place to speak about what we were doing. You know, I was like, who wants to listen to me talk anyway? Like I haven't done anything. Like, why do you want to hear me talk? And so they needed like a keynote speaker. So obviously Matt Hobbs used to work at Wake Forest and uh, he was the pitching coach here when they built the lab. So coach Walt got him to come and speak and be the keynote speaker. And we were recruiting a player against Arkansas at the time. And I really wanted the player. And so I, I came in the next day. I was like, so we got Hobbs speaking at our seminar, but like, what, we just going to punt and like, give that, give that player to Arkansas. And, uh, and then Mike was like, well, Moose, like I offered to have you speak. And you said, no, I'm like, I'm talking now. If Hobbs is talking. I'm talking. And so <laughs> That's the only reason I talked. And then, uh, yeah, so then I had to do I Now I was, like, pot committed, so I had to speak at it. Uh, and it wasn't so bad. And then I realized that I was just being a brat and that, like, it's actually good for the program and it was fun. And we got to hang out a lot of, you know, good pitching minds. Um, and so then did it again next year. And, again, like, that's Mike McFerrin's baby. He's the one that – Puts, does all the work, puts all the work into it, gets everybody to come. I just happen to house people at my house for, you know, a few adult beverages afterwards and talking baseball. That's really the extent of my contribution. And that's that, you know? Well, what I, what I wanted to mention, so the first one was 2021, correct? And uh, I, I believe I'm right. So it was the one you spoke at. And what you said, essentially, this is paraphrasing because I don't, really remember it was two years ago but you said i remember you got up and you were talking about a example pitcher named rhett louder who was in the building while you were talking you go this is rhett these are essentially what we suggest he does and if he does them he's going to be like the best pitcher in the world by his junior year <laughs> i don't know um, if i said that but I, yeah it's all paraphrasing you used a lot of big words to explain it complex topics but you showed videos of him pitching and said he should do this this and this and then from the looks of it he he did that and kept doing things and 
you ended up being right. So that was really cool. Um, <laughs> but I, I did want to give you credit for that because I've never mentioned it. I haven't brought it up, but I needed to. The crazy thing about that, you know what the biggest difference was? It Like we were trying to get him to move differently and everything, obviously, um, and we couldn't figure it out. And we, he got orthotics like in his, in his feet because he had really high arches in his feet and he couldn't land full footed. So to help the land full footed and have the energy transfer back up into his body. Um, but like Brent Louder's a dude, man. Like I know he didn't have a great freshman year, but he's a freshman starting in the ATC. Like it's hard to do. You like, aren't supposed care. to. Yeah. I, I don't care how good you are. I mean, it doesn't matter. Like if you're a freshman starting in a power five conference on the weekend, it's difficult. Like newsflash, it's not easy. And so his numbers don't look great from his freshman year, but he had a lot of really bright spots and he was good. Um, and he got better. And he's like one of the best people I've ever known in my life. Like he's a great teammate. He's a great dude. He's a winner. He's awesome. Like, and so we made a couple tweaks here and there and he learned a slider. And I mean, I didn't teach him how to pitch. That dude could always pitch. That guy can hit a cat's ass, you know, like, you just got to call the right pitches for him. You know what I mean? Like, he knows what he's doing. Um, he made some adjustments. He got a little bit better. But that's all right, you know. It was fun to work with. Yeah, well, I, I just want to give you credit because you did say, like, look, he's good, but he can be better, and this is how he's going to be better. And then he was. It, it's just really cool to not only hear a guy say, well, you practice what you preach, and we don't just tell the guys to do things to do things, and we let them be themselves. And you did all of that. So it's not just a coach saying, oh, this is what happens. It's this is actually legitimately what happens, and this is how we have success. And so it, it was really cool to just watch that kind of come to fruition. Hey, even a blind squirrel finds a nut sometimes. You know what I mean? <laughs> Well, hey, look, when you, when the blind squirrel tells you two years before, hey, on this day at this spot, I'm going to find a nut, that's when it's impressive. <laughs> but Coach Moose, you, you are someone I look up to and someone I appreciate more than you'll ever know. So thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me, but also thank you for the service just to college baseball in general because it's better because of you. You got to stop shining me up. I'm literally just like another guy – I like to have fun. You and I get along because we both like to have fun and we don't take ourselves too seriously. And at the end of the day, we're, we're all lucky that we get paid to actually <laughs> be involved in baseball. Sometimes I still feel like it's like the biggest, uh, the biggest scam in the world that like I get paid to coach baseball. You know? It's like the paycheck shows up and you're like, really again? Okay, sure. Yeah. Fine. I mean, it's happening. Not gonna, it's a miracle. Look, not going to complain about it, but. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, thank you very much, Coach. Well, there you have it. I mean, a man like Coach Moose, he's as transparent as can be, and that's something that's such a gift for every player and pitcher at Wake Forest University. You know, you can have all the development tools in the world and all the external factors that can help your team win. But if you don't have someone at the forefront who can translate it and relate to you on a human level, I, I don't think you're going to have the same levels of success. Now, I, I feel Coach Moose hit on a great point there and the fact that he does feel like a scam artist getting paid to be involved in college baseball. And I feel like that's one of the things that's going to keep him 
involved in college baseball the longest is that appreciation of the fact that, you know, some people, they go on to be doctors. Some people go on to be lawyers. He's a college baseball coach and he is loving what he does every day of his life. And you really can't beat that. And, you know, he obviously wants to be a winner, but when you look at where that's coming from, that's not coming from a place of like, Oh, I want to be a winner. So everyone knows who I am. It's coming from a place of, Oh, I want to be a winner. That way I can keep doing this for the rest of my life. Like it's just such a genuine appreciation for the game and its players and the, the game is very lucky to have Coach Moose, and we were lucky to have him come on. So thank you very much for, for hopping on, especially in this busy schedule. And now thank you guys for tuning into the first ever Shock Factor, Pumpkin Spice Shock Factor Fall Podcast. Make sure to stay tuned all off-season long, where we will be dropping new episodes every Monday and Thursday for you to enjoy. Now, this is a reminder that this Thursday, we will be releasing our first ever episode with the ever-intelligent Coach Michael Rooney, and I could not be so excited. Um, It's going to be great. He is a very intelligent mind in college baseball. I'm a goofy mind in college baseball, and I think when we bring the two together, it'll bring a lot of fun and a lot of insight, maybe, hopefully. Now, the Shock Factor podcast is a D1 baseball podcast, and as always, if you want the intelligent and in-depth analysis of what's actually going on in college baseball, make sure to use code DONKEY and subscribe to D1Baseball.com. You've heard my goofy thoughts on college baseball. Now, if you want the really juicy stuff, you got to be looking at what Aaron, Kendall, and co. are posting on D1. And of course, as always, thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate it. I genuinely appreciate you caring about the game I love. And let's have a great week. The Shock Factor Podcast is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.